so if you weren't here last week or the week before, uh, two weeks ago, the first Sunday night in February, uh, we started talking about the Lord's Supper, and we asked, I uh, just threw out several questions out there, uh, but we didn't talk about them all that week. We talked about really just one question, kind of kind of what is the Lord's Supper, and, and, and what do we think about the Lord's Supper. It was more of a sermon than it was a, a teaching time, and, and we, and we uh, had the Lord's Supper together that night. Um, and, and if you remember, I said in that, in that Sunday, on that Sunday night, in that sermon on that Sunday night, that there were really uh, kind of two aspects to the Lord's Supper. There's a vertical aspect where there's something about our relationship to, to God, something about our, our relationship to Jesus that's going on there, and the, Lord, and the Lord's Supper helps us with that. Um, and there's also a horizontal aspect where, uh, where when we observe the Lord's Supper together, we are, uh, there's, a, there's a corporate effect. There, there's, it affects the way that we relate to one another as a church body and as believers. And then I also said that when we do observe the Lord's Supper, uh, we looked at that passage in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, and, and I said that we uh, are, are looking backwards to Jesus' death and, and remembering that and, uh, and, and trusting in that as the foundation of our, of our faith. And we're also looking forward to uh, the day when Jesus is going to return and, and, and keep the promise he made to come back. Um, and so we have both of those two things going on. Uh, and then last week, we uh, we asked specifically the question of kind of kind of what is happening when we have the Lord's Supper, um, and we looked at at how several different traditions view the Lord's Supper and understand what's happening in the Lord's Supper. So we talked about uh, transubstantiation, the Catholic view. We talked about the Lutheran view, consubstantiation. We talked about um, the uh, the the spiritual presence view or the mostly Presbyterian view. We talked very briefly about what Methodists believe and what Pentecostals believe, and then we talked about the memorial view, uh, the historic Baptist view, and then we uh, kind of put all that together at the very end. Okay, if you missed any of those, then you can uh, you can go online on our church website and, and find those audio, maybe video. I'm not sure, but I know audio for sure. Um, and then also, if you go to the church uh, blog. There, there are uh, blog articles on, on the church blog that are just summaries of those nights, if you want to go and read kind of a brief summary of those. And there'll be one uh, Tuesday uh, summary of tonight, Lord willing. So tonight what we're going to do is uh, look, at, look at a few remaining questions, okay? So they don't all fit together. They're, they're kind of distinct questions, kind of different questions. But um, there are four of them that I want us to talk about tonight, think about tonight. And then next week, hope you're all back next week, uh, we'll have all of our pastors up on the stage and we'll uh, take questions and answers and um, we'll take questions and if you have any answers, we'll take answers too, but we'll try to give answers to the questions that, that you ask, all right? Um, and again, as I've said before, if you have questions, you're, feel free to come next week and just shout them out to us uh, at the appropriate time or uh, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, then uh, you can always email those to one of us or... Um, or hand them to us in writing or just tell them to us uh, privately and we'll make sure we talk about those next week. So tonight though we want to talk about uh, four questions okay and so we want to we want to talk about first uh, the proper subjects of the supper or who is it that should participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, secondly we want to talk about the proper manner of the supper how how should we how should we um, observe the Lord's Supper how should we uh, participate in the Lord's Supper? Um, and then the third question, we want to talk about the proper frequency of the supper. How often should we have the Lord's Supper? Uh, and when should we have the Lord's Supper? And then fourthly, um, the proper administrators of the Lord's Supper. Who is it that can officiate, that can serve the Lord's Supper in the church? Okay? First of all, though, who are the proper subjects of the Lord's Supper? And so I found this, uh, this article um, it was from, I think it was from 2012, and it was a survey that LifeWay uh, put out. LifeWay Christian Publishers, the, the Southern Baptist Publishing um, Group, and it was a survey. They asked, uh, they, they sent the survey out to several pastors of different sized churches in different parts of the country, all from the U.S., uh, and they had 1,066 responses that got sent back to them, okay? And they asked two questions. And so the first question they asked is this first question we're talking about right now. Who may participate in the Lord's Supper at your church? And so the question is to Southern Baptist pastors, how does your church operate, right? How does your church answer this question? And 52% uh, 
uh, of the pastors said in their churches, anyone who has put their faith in Jesus, anyone who has believed in Jesus, anyone who is, who is saved is welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper at their church. 35% said uh, anyone who is baptized as a believer. Okay, so someone who's a believer, but also they have to be baptized. Um, 4% said only members of that local church can participate. So if you're a visitor to a church, even if you are saved, even if you've been baptized, um, if you're not a member of that specific church, then uh, you're, not, you're not welcome to, to uh, participate. You just observe. And then it says 5% says, uh, said anyone who wants to, and 4% said they have no specifications. I don't really know the difference between those two. It seems like it should just be 9% say whoever wants to, right? Uh, but they, they broke it up that way. 5% anyone that wants to, 4% uh, they have no specifications. Part of that article where they were given the results of that, uh, of that survey also uh, pointed out that there's several different positions there, right, within, within different Baptist churches. Um, and it's a little bit awkward. They pointed out that uh, the Baptist faith of message, which is the, the kind of standard statement of faith of, of, of most Southern Baptist churches, um, and so most of these churches, you know, the 52% that say anyone that's believed in Jesus and the 35% that say, no, you have to be baptized first, most of all of those churches would say they believe in the Baptist faith of message as a summary of what the Bible says, right? And the article in the Baptist faith of message, Article 7, about baptism and the Lord's Supper, says this, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience, symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. Okay? And then here's, here's where the Lord's Supper comes in. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. Okay, so if you don't know what that means, there's kind of some big words in there. It's a prerequisite to the privileges of membership and to the Lord's Supper. And so that means that the Baptist faith and message summarized in the Bible says that in order to become a church member, you have to be baptized first. And in order to participate in the Lord's Supper, you have to be baptized first. Okay, so 52% here said anyone that has faith in Jesus, and they would say they believe in the Baptist faith and message, but there's a little bit of difference there, right? It goes on, though. It says, uh, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. That word memorialize, we talked about that, that last week. Remember that that's kind of the historic Baptist position. But, but in there, it's that phrase. It says, whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and fruit of the vine, memorialize his death until he comes. And so the Baptist faith and message says that it's believers that have been baptized, but also members of the church. And so it's not, it's not really clear in the Baptist faith and message if that's members of the church, kind of capital C, the church, right? Like the universal church, all, all believers, or little c church. I mean, it's little c, it's not capitalized, but, uh, or little c church, meaning that specific local church. Well, let's think about what the, what the Bible says. Okay, and and I, I think, um, I think there are, there are four requirements that we have to think about when we talk about who can participate in the Lord's Supper, or when we talk about who should participate in the Lord's Supper. Maybe that's a better word instead of who can, who should. Okay, and so first of all, uh, we would I would say that uh, in order to rightly partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, the person should be a professing believer. Should be a believer. Right? We shouldn't have unbelievers taking the Lord's Supper. Um, and, and when we have the Lord's Supper here at our church, we usually say that. Whichever, whichever pastor's leading will say, uh, you know, if you're not a believer, something to the effect of if you're not a believer, we ask you not to take the Lord's Supper. We don't really know why you would because um, the Lord's Supper symbolizes the death of Jesus for our sins and his return. And if you're not a believer, you're not believing that. And so we don't know why would you would want to participate in symbolizing that if that's not something that, that you believe. 
but, but that's, what, that's what we say, something like that. So why do we think that? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians a lot tonight. Uh, we're going to flip to a few other places too, but mostly 1 Corinthians. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is that, that, that passage we looked at a lot last week and the week before. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 to 25. Y'all are already familiar with this from the, few, from the last few weeks. But it says, when he had given thanks, he broke it. So he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so if we're doing, if the Lord's Supper is something that we're doing in remembrance of Jesus and in the remembrance of what he's done, then like I've already kind of mentioned, then it should be believers who are doing that. It should be people who are believing that are the ones that should be remembering that, right? Or should be memorializing that. If we don't believe that, then, uh, then there's really no point in, in participating in the Lord's Supper. And if we don't believe it, we're kind of like if, if, I'm, if I'm not believing the truth of the gospel, but I'm participating in the Lord's Supper also, I'm, I'm kind of doing something or saying something that's not true, right? Because I'm acting out the gospel when I'm not believing the gospel. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think the gospel's true. Uh, another reason, look at, look at verse 29, 1129. It says, not another reason, but another, another place where we see a similar reason. Verse 29 says, for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body correctly or judge the body rightly, okay? And we're going to talk more about what that means here in a little bit. But if you're not a believer, then you're not judging the body rightly, right? Whatever the body means, we're going to talk about that later. But whatever the body is, if you're not a believer, you're not judging it rightly, right? You're judging it wrongly. That's why you're not a believer, okay? And then thirdly, look at uh, back at chapter 10, so the, the, the chapter before, uh, look at verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Okay? Again, we'll talk more about what that means here in a little bit when we look at one of these other questions, but... Suffice it to say for now, if, if someone's not a believer, then they're not sharing in the blood of Christ. And if someone's not a believer, they're not sharing in the body of Christ. Okay? And so, uh, so we would say here, and, and, and I would say that the, the first requirement to rightly participate in the Lord's Supper is uh, that the person should be a believer. Okay? Now, uh, we shouldn't uh, stigmatize someone for not observing the Lord's Supper with us when we're, when we're having the Lord's Supper here and someone lets the, pay, the plate pass by them and they don't partake, partake of, the, of the elements, we shouldn't stigmatize them. It's a good thing that they're not taking, right? Now, ultimately, we want them to be, a, be able to take later if, the, if, they, if they hear the gospel and believe and, and those kind of things. But it's a good thing that they're letting the elements pass if they're not, if they're not believers in, in, in that moment. So first of all, professing believers. Um, secondly... I would say that to rightly participate in the Lord's Supper, we should be professing believers who have been baptized. Professing believers who have been baptized. Okay? And, uh, and the, the reason why is because uh, we talked about this last year in February when we talked about baptism. But baptism is the public profession of faith, right? Baptism doesn't save you. We talked about all this. But baptism is how you make your profession of faith public how you let the world know and, and, and let, your, uh, let your fellow church members know that you are believing in Jesus, right? That's been replaced sometimes in, in the last, I don't know, 50 years or 100 years in, in the American church and, and maybe even uh, in, in the Western church, we should say, by walking the aisle, right? Usually when we think of how do you make a public profession of faith, we think of someone walking the aisle in, in front of everyone and, or, or someone raising their hand during an altar call or standing up when the preacher tells them to, something like that. Um, and, and those things are not bad. Those, those things are, are good and fine. But when we look at what the Bible says, the, the way biblically that we publicly profess our faith is through baptism. And so I would say if, if we've not yet publicly professed our faith, then, then we shouldn't partake of the Lord's Supper. 
Again, we want that person to take the Lord's Supper, and we hope that they can take it with us the next time we take it, hope that they're baptized between, uh, you know, then, now, and then. Uh, but we would, we would ask them to, uh, to wait. Okay, look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 28. It says, uh, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we're commanded to examine ourselves before we participate. And if someone is a believer but has not yet made that profession public before the world and before the church, then I would think that in examining himself, the first thing he would conclude in that examination is, I need to be baptized, right? It's a matter of obedience, and it's a matter of, of publicly proclaiming what the Lord has done for him. And so, so that, would be, um, that would be what he would get from examining himself, okay? And then, and then one other, uh, other kind of point about this is um, we believe, and we talked about this last year again when we talked about baptism, but we believe the Bible teaches that baptism is by immersion, right? And so we would, say, uh, we would say a professing believer who has been baptized by immersion, right? And that's kind of redundant. That's kind of like saying, um, that's kind of like saying someone who has, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head. Uh, like, some, like, like someone saying, we need to wash our hands with water. Right? It's kind of redundant because that's what you do wash your hands with. If you wash your hands, it means you're getting them wet, right? Um, and, and so that, that's kind of what it means. And so we would say, well, baptism, baptism means immersion. If you haven't been immersed, then you haven't been baptized the way the Bible talks about baptism. And so uh, we would say someone who's a professing believer, um, a professing believer who has been baptized. And then thirdly, uh, professing believers who have been baptized and are in good standing in a local church. Okay, remember what the Baptist Faith and Message said that I read before. It says, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread of the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipates his second coming. Now, we don't believe that that's true. I don't believe that that's true because the Baptist Faith and Message says it, but I do believe it's true. Okay, I do believe it's true. Uh, we should be a professing believer who's been baptized and is in good standing in a local church. So let's think about this for a minute. Turn back to 1 Corinthians, turn back to, to uh, chapter 5. This is the passage in, in 1 Corinthians where, he is, where Paul's talking about some uh, some some disobedience, some immorality, some sin that's happening in the church. And, and this is uh, a part of the passage where he tells them how to deal with it. And he says in, in verse 9, he says, uh, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Okay, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. And then he says, not even to eat with such a one. Not even to eat with such a one. Okay, so what does, he, what does Paul mean when he says don't even eat with, with such a one? Does he mean that you can't go down to Paul with him? Or you can't go to Taco Bell with them? Or if they're a part of your family, you can't have them over for Thanksgiving uh, dinner or Christmas dinner or just a regular uh, lunch or, or whatever? Is that, is that what he's talking about? Maybe so, right? He says don't even eat with them. So maybe that's what he's talking about, but, um, but I don't think so. Look, look back at chapter 11. and let, Let's think about how the Bible talks about eating together. Back at chapter 11 in verse 17. He says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry and another is drunk. 
What, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. And so Paul's describing when the church comes together to eat, to eat together, right? And he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He says, this is not the Lord's Supper, but what, he, what he's meaning is you're dishonoring the Lord's Supper. You're not doing it rightly, right? This is a, this is your, this is a false supper. You're calling it the Lord's Supper, but, it, but you're not doing it the right way. And so it's not, a real, it's not really the way that you should be observing the Lord's Supper. And he mentions there, uh, some of you eat and are full, right? Some of you eat uh, while others are hungry. And he says, some of you become drunk. And so what, what he's describing is in, in the early church, it was a common practice to where the church would gather together for a meal, for an actual meal. Like we, like our mission, we had an Equator um, mission trip team meeting today after church. We gathered in the basement, had a meal together, um, and, and, and had a meeting and talked about that trip. Um, it was common in the early church for the church to gather together for a meal, to eat lunch together, or eat supper together. And then as part of that meal, they would, uh, they would have the Lord's Supper. At the end, and and that's, that's what happened in the Gospels when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. They were eating the Passover meal. And at the end of that Passover meal, as part of that celebration, he instituted the Lord's Supper part of that, right? Now, today, normally when we observe the Lord's Supper, we don't do that, right? We do it on a, on a Sunday morning at the end of a service or Sunday evening at the end of a service, and we don't have it sit down for a whole meal. But typically, that's what they would do in the early church. And so when Paul says, don't even eat with one, He's, he's not saying don't go to El Nepal with them. He's not saying don't go to Taco Bell with them. He's saying don't participate in this Lord's Supper meal with them. Someone who is immoral, someone who's living like an unbeliever, right? Go back to what we said, point number one, that the, the person observing the Lord's Supper should be a believer. And so if you have someone in your church who's claiming to be a believer, but is living like an unbeliever, then we should treat them like an unbeliever. Don't even eat with them. Don't even observe the Lord's Supper with them. Right? There's another place where we see something similar to this. Look at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, he says, uh, this is the, the early church right after, the, uh, right after Pentecost, right after uh, Peter's sermon at Pentecost when many people were saved and, and added to the number of the church. Verse 42 says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay, the breaking of bread there, I think, is the Lord's Supper. Okay, and then look down at verse 46. Day by day, continue with one another, uh, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And so in verse 46, he uses that phrase, breaking bread again, the same phrase as in verse 42, which I think is referring to the Lord's Supper. But he says that they were taking their meals together. And, and so I think what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is that it was a common practice among the church in, in these early days of the church to, to eat meals together. That passage also, we didn't read it, but that passage also talks about them having everything in common and, and, and selling their goods and, and having, having it in common, that kind of thing. Um, and so they would, they would commonly take their meals together, and as part of that, they would break bread, which I think is a, kind of a euphemism for the Lord's Supper. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that don't even eat with them in, in the context of talking about the Lord's Supper uh, in that whole chapter. And then in Acts 2, the same thing, where he's talking about breaking bread in verse 42 and then breaking bread and having meals together in verse 46. So when Paul says in uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, he says, do not even eat with such a one. I think he's saying, don't observe the Lord's Supper with them. And, and when we think about church discipline, that's one of the things that, that, that the person under church discipline is being, uh, is being removed from is the Lord's Supper. Because that's a clear marker of a distinction between a believer and an unbeliever. Someone who, who is under church discipline, we want them to be in the church service. We want them to be hearing the word preached. We want them to be, uh, be experiencing even, even the fellowship that we have, just like we would any unbelieving person that would come in as a visitor to the church. We want them to be here. We want them to be hearing. But, but we want to, to treat them like an unbeliever, Paul says. And that doesn't mean we treat them badly, right? It doesn't mean we treat them badly at all. It just means we treat them like an, like an unbeliever. And one of the clear markers, one of the clear distinctions between a believer and an unbeliever 
um, in, in the church is, is in the Lord's Supper. Okay? So let's think about this. Look at verse 17, chapter 11, verse 17. Okay, so, so what, I'm, what I'm saying right now is that uh, pre- uh, professing believers who have been baptized and are in good standing in a local church. And one of the reasons we think that, that this person should be in good standing in a local church is because of this passage about not eating with someone who is not in good standing in a local church, right? To be under church discipline is to not be in good standing. That's what we mean by not being good standing or being good standing. And so, uh, and so it should be someone who's in good standing in a local church, which means they're not under church discipline. But then let's think, think about this. In, in chapter 11, verses 17 through 39, okay, the phrase, when you come together, is repeated five times. Okay, I didn't count up how many verses that is, but the phrase, when you come together, is, uh, is mentioned five times. So in verse 17, he says it. Let me turn back there. I'm in, I'm in Acts. In verse 17, he says, uh, but in giving you this instruction, I do not praise you because, uh, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Okay, in verse 18, he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. In verse 20, he says, therefore, when you meet together or when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And then in verse 33, he says, so then, my, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And then in verse 34, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that, he, so that you will not come together for judgment. And then the remainder matters I'll arrange when I, when I come. So five times in this, in this section, he talks about coming together, okay? And so that reiterates what we're talking about the first week about this, this horizontal aspect of the Lord's Supper where there's something about our relationship with each other, but it also puts a focus on the Lord's Supper is something that we do together as a church, when the church comes together when the church comes together, something we do together. And so that brings up some, some interesting things for us to think about, okay? So should individuals observe the Lord's Supper apart from the church, apart from a gathering of the church? Should we, should we observe the Lord's Supper during like our family gatherings, even if all of our family are believers and all of our family are baptized? Should we observe the Lord's Supper at weddings, I don't know if you've been to a wedding before where the Lord's Supper was observed, either among the, the people that were there or much more commonly, just the, the bride and groom will, will observe the Lord's Supper together on the stage. Should we do that? What about subsets of the church? Okay, so not the whole church gathered, but just parts of the church gathered. So what about youth groups? When, when our youth group goes to youth camp, should, should they have a night where they observe the Lord's Supper together as a youth group? Those, those that are believers and have been baptized? What about when we take our men's retreat or a women's retreat? Should part of that be uh, observing the Lord's Supper together? Or, or mission trips? Things like that. Um, and, then, and then a third question, or the same question, but a third way, what about parachurch groups? Right. So a parachurch is, is, is not a church, but it's a like a Christian organization that's there to, to kind of help the church. So like Lifeway that I mentioned before, Lifeway's not a church, but Lifeway exists to help churches, right? The International Mission Board is not a church, but it exists to help churches. I work for Reaching and Teaching uh, Missions Agency. Reaching and Teaching is not a church. Reaching and Teaching exists to help churches send missionaries. Um, what about parachurch groups? What about if we're at a conference together? with other believers, maybe some from our church, maybe some from other churches. Should we observe the Lord's Supper at a conferences or retreats? When I was in high school, I was involved in a, uh, in a retreat called Chrysalis. Uh, there's an adult version called Emmaus, um, and then there are other versions, um, and it was really helpful to me at the time. But, but one of the aspects of it was the Lord's Supper. There was a group of probably 50 teenage boys um, that were at, at that treat at the, at the same time. And we observed the Lord's Supper several times during that weekend. Probably, I would guess, three or four times, maybe, maybe five or six times during that weekend. Um, when I worked at a school system, I used to work for a Christian private school, and every year before school started, before the semester, or before the school year started in the, in the fall, 
we would have like a week of teacher training and, and that kind of thing, getting ready for the new year. And the last day of that teacher training before the students came, we would have a commissioning service, a chapel service. We had chapel a lot. It was a Christian school. But the faculty and staff would observe the Lord's Supper together. Um, and I, I, think that, I think that that's not, not great. I think that we shouldn't do that. I think the Lord's Supper is an ordinance that, that God gave to his church. Um, and, and I think the Lord's Supper is best observed, most rightly, most biblically observed among his church gathered. Right, five times in that passage, he says, "When you come together, when you're when you're gathered together," and so um, I don't think at, at youth camp or other retreats or camps or men's men's group or women's group, I think the church gathered together um, is the is the proper avenue for observing the Lord's Supper. I think it was given to churches. Okay, so uh, so I, so I think the proper participants in the Lord's Supper should be professing believers who have been baptized by immersion and are members in good standing of a local church, okay? Now, one, one caveat, that doesn't mean that someone has to be a member in good standing of our church, right? But a member in good standing of a church. And so someone who believes the gospel is saved, someone who's been baptized by immersion uh, as a demonstration of, of that faith, um, and someone who is in good standing of a local church who is not under church discipline or anything like that, um, are, are welcome and I think should be encouraged to observe the Lord's Supper whenever we have the Lord's Supper together here. A fourth question uh, about who should participate in the Lord's Supper is age. Are there any age requirements? What about a really young kid? Should they be able to take the Lord's Supper? A really young kid who is a believer, professing believer, and baptized, and a member in good standing of a local church, should that young kid be able to take the Lord's Supper, or should there be an age limit? When we observe the Lord's Supper here, uh, I don't know if you ever noticed, but we have the people that come up on the, on, the, on the front, and usually somebody really young, like Andy Huff or somebody, will take, take a tray, uh, and they'll go out the door. And y'all don't see them. I don't know if you even know what they're doing. And then they'll come back a little bit later. They're taking the Lord's Supper. They're taking the, the bread and the, and the juice to the nursery for the nursery workers. They're taking it to the youth group. On a Sunday night, our youth group is meeting upstairs. They'll take it to the youth group. And those, those members of the youth group that are, that are, um, that are saved and are believers and, and members of the church, they'll take it to e-kids. We've even got some young kids and e-kids that are, that are believers and have been baptized uh, because they're part of the church. And, and as our church gathers on, 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 a, on the Lord's Day and observes the Lord's Supper, they're included in that as well. Okay? Well, why do we do that? Is, should there be some kind of age limit? And the short answer is the Bible doesn't really give an age limit. The Bible doesn't say... Uh, whether someone should be a certain age. The Bible doesn't say whether it should be open to anybody, no matter their age, as long as those other three criteria are, are met. But, but here's, here's what I think we can, we can say from, the, um, from this passage in, in, in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11. 28 and 29 say this, uh, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And so I don't think there's an age limit, but I think we should be careful to make sure that it's, that it's a kid who is mature enough uh, and old enough to understand what that means. Old enough and mature enough to, uh, to discern the body, to discern what the Lord's Supper is and what the Lord's Supper means and why we observe the Lord's Supper. And uh, a kid who is mature enough, old enough to be able to examine himself or examine herself and, and make sure that they're observing the Lord's Supper rightly. Okay? I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this, but often when we observe the Lord's Supper here, you'll see in, in pews, you'll see families together and moms and dads huddled with their kids uh, as the elements are being distributed and praying together. And uh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting that the, the parents are reminding the kids what the Lord's Supper means and what it is and why we do it. Um, and, and I... And so it should be kids that are old enough to understand that, which in, which in our church, in our, in our context, I think we would say that that would be any kid who's, who's been baptized, right? I don't, we wouldn't baptize a kid who's not mature enough to understand what baptism is or what baptism means or why they're being baptized. And so if they're mature enough to be baptized, then they would be mature enough to observe the Lord's Supper as well, okay? One last thing about all that. Um, we're not the police of the Lord's Supper. Right? And so whenever we're distributing the Lord's Supper, we, um, we say all that, we explain all that, 
Um, but when we're taking the trays down the pews, we're not looking at each person and, and us deciding who we're giving the tray to and who we're not giving the tray to. We leave it up to the individual person and their conscience whether they uh, take the take from the tray or just let it pass by them. Right? It's up to it's up to them. But it's but it's our responsibility and, and it's on our conscience to make sure that we explain this rightly, because as we're going to see uh, in in our next question, uh, there there's some pretty high stakes involved. So question number one. Uh, the proper subject to the Lord's Supper, who can participate or who should participate. Number two, the next question, uh, the proper manner of the Lord's Supper. How should we observe the Lord's Supper? Okay, And I don't mean whether we use uh, juice or wine, right, or whether we use unleavened bread or leavened bread. We can maybe answer some of those questions next week if you want to ask those. Um, but what I mean is the proper manner of our, of our heart. What should our heart posture be in the Lord's Supper? And so, that second or that end part of chapter 11 is really important here. And we haven't read it much over the last couple of weeks, but we're going to look at it tonight. So verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. It's pretty serious. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, or a number have died. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. If we judge ourselves rightly and then repent of that, then we wouldn't face the Lord's judgment, because we would have repented, right? But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Okay. So that's some, that's some pretty serious verses, some pretty serious passage there, right? There's a, a grave warning in, in, in this passage about how we participate in the Lord's Supper, the manner of the supper. And I want to I pick up on two things that Paul says there. The, the first thing he says is, verse 27, uh, he uses the phrase, unworthy manner. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's pretty serious. So what does he mean when he says an unworthy manner? Right? What is that? What does that mean? An unworthy manner. I think, I think there's a couple things going on there. I think one thing that we can think of is, is there some kind of uh, blatant, grievous, serious sin that we have in our lives? Uh, and if there is, then we shouldn't take that lightly. We shouldn't just kind of pass over that. We should deal with that. And that, that leads to the second thing that I think is the key here. I read someone this afternoon, someone said, um, the issue here, when he talks about an unworthy manner, the issue here is not unworthy participants. The issue is unworthy participation, okay? Not unworthy participants, but unworthy participation. And here's what I think that means. If we were trying to discern whether we're worthy to take the Lord's Supper or not, I think we would all say that we're not, right? I hope that we would all say that we're not. But the issue is not, are we worthy? The issue is, are we participating in a worthy manner? And, and what I think that means is, are we participating by faith and repentance, right? If we, if we examine ourselves, if we, uh, we haven't got to examine ourselves yet, but if, we're, if, we're, if we examine ourselves and we discover some kind of, kind of sin that we haven't repented of yet, the answer to that is not, well, we can never take the Lord's Supper again, right? The answer to that is, we should right there at that moment repent of that sin and trust God to forgive it. And so are we... Uh, are we eating the bread? Or are we drinking the, the juice in faith and repentance? Or are we not? Uh, and then the second thing I want to pick up on is verse 29, where he says, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly, or if he does not discern the body rightly, your translation might say. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to discern the body? Um, that's a little bit confusing. And it might mean discern Jesus' body. Right, right up before that, in verse 27, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And so just two verses before, he talks about the body of the Lord. And so then in verse 29, when he says, 
uh, you're not discerning the body correctly, then that he may be talking about the body of the Lord, right? The bread and, and, and Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. His, his body was broken for our sins, which is what the bread represents. And so we should examine ourselves. We should discern whether we are uh, trusting in that or not trusting in that. Okay? And, and, and that may be what it, what it, what it means. But it may, it may be something else. He may not be talking about the Lord's body there. He may be talking about the church, the, the, church, the body of Christ. Because in, in 1 Corinthians, he uses that metaphor a lot. Um, he may be talking about the body of Christ, especially in the context of this whole chapter where he's been talking about one of the problems that he's addressing with these instructions on how to observe the Lord's Supper is these problems they're having within, within the community of the church, right? He says some come and they eat a lot because they're wealthy, and some come and they go hungry because they are not wealthy. Some come and they get drunk because they're wealthy and they can afford a lot of wine, and some come and they don't have any. And so they're, 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 they're making distinctions among themselves. He says there's factions among them, and, and he says, I believe them. Um, and, and so when he says discern the body, he may be, it may be discern the body of Christ, the, the church. And, and if so, then we're to discern, discern our own hearts. Do we have love for the body of Christ? Do we have love for one another? Do we have love for the church? Do we defer to one another? Not seeking our own, right? Think about 1 Corinthians 13 that, that describes love. Not, it does not seek its own. Do we defer to one another? Are we more concerned about other people's comfort and other people's interests and other people's good uh, as much so or more than, than our own? Um, what about our commitment to other believers? Right? Are we committed to each other? Or are we out to, to uh, again, to kind of get what we can get out of it? And so it may be here discerning our relationship to the, to the church. And if that's what it is, if the discerning the body here is the, the body of Christ, the church, then I, I kind of like that because then verse 27 is uh, don't take in an, in an unworthy manner. Um, you shall be guilty of the body and, and blood of the Lord. And so that's the, the vertical aspect, right, our relationship to God. And if this is the body of Christ, which is the church, then that's the horizontal aspect. And so we're examining both of those things. We're examining our relationship to God and our repentance and faith, and we're also examining, discerning our relationship to one another in, in the body of Christ. Um, the Lord's Supper is not a sacrifice, right? We talked about that last week. The Lord's Supper is not a sacrifice, but it does make me think of that passage in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, if anyone is about to offer an, an offering on the altar and he remembers he has something between him and one of his brothers, he should stop and go make that right and then come back and finish offering the sacrifice, right? The Lord's Supper is not a, not a sacrifice. He's not talking about the Lord's Supper there, but there are some parallels in, in, in how our relationship with each other can affect our worship to God, right? And, and so, uh, so if that's what he's talking about here, then, then, uh, then there you go. And, and if so, then that would even strengthen what we were saying before, or what I was saying before about it being important to be a member of a, of, a, of a local church in good standing. Because if we're discerning our relationship with one another, well, you can't really do that if you don't know each other. And you can't really do that if you're not in a community, in a relationship with one another, in, in a church with one another, right? Okay, so the proper manner of the supper. The third, third question is the proper frequency of the supper. How often should we observe the Lord's Supper? Um, in, in this LifeWay survey that I mentioned before, there's a, there was a second question that was asked, and it was how often does your church observe the Lord's Supper? Remember, 1,066, I think, pastors. And 57% said quarterly, which is once every three months, right, four times a year. Um, 15% said five to 10 times a year. So maybe those churches do it quarterly, four times a year, and then maybe they do it on Easter or on Good Friday service or Christmas Eve service or something like that. So five to 10 times a year. 18% said monthly. 8% said zero to three times a year. And 1% of, of Southern Baptist churches said weekly. Okay? So how often should we observe the Lord's Supper? Well, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, that doesn't tell us how often to do it. It just says, as often as you do it, every time you do do it, do these things, right? Um, so there's no, frequ there's no specific frequency given there. 
in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 that we read before. Turn to Acts chapter 20 if you're following along. In Acts chapter 2, that passage we read before where it says that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and prayers. In, in that verse, in verse 42, it, it says continually. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayers and to the breaking of bread. And so, again, that doesn't really say frequency. It doesn't say every day, although some people think it was every day maybe. It doesn't say how often. It just says continually. They were doing it continually. In, uh, in chapter 20, verse 7, Paul says, or Luke writes about Paul, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. So this says they were gathered together on the first day of the week to observe the Lord's Supper, okay? Now, some people take that and say, well, then that means they were observing the Lord's Supper every week, right? On the first day of the week, every week, they were observing the Lord's Supper. And that may be what they were doing, but that's not what that says, right? It doesn't. That says that on, on that first day of the week, they gathered to observe the Lord's Supper. That doesn't mean that they did the same thing the next week. It might have been once a month on the first day of the week they, they gathered, Right? Um, it, might, it might be every week, um, but it, it may not be every week. It, it, it doesn't say there. And so the Bible doesn't really tell us. Uh, we can look through church history, and, and often churches did observe the Lord's Supper weekly in, during the early parts of, of the church, early years of the church. Uh, but we don't have any kind of command from Scripture on how often it should be. Um, there are a couple of bad arguments for observing the Lord's Supper less frequently that I, that I want to point out. One of them is... Uh, that if we don't observe the Lord's Supper uh, often, then that means that we miss out on God's grace. But we talked last week about how the Lord's Supper is not a means of grace in the sense that salvation comes by it or forgiveness of sin comes by it or, or something like that, right? Um, it is a means of grace in the same way that preaching is a means of grace or, or singing is a means of grace. Um, but it's not like we get some special thing from the Lord's Supper that we don't get if we're not observing it often. Um, and then some people say if we don't observe the Lord's Supper often or, or weekly, then we're disobedient to Scripture. But I just pointed out the Bible doesn't say anywhere how often they observe the Lord's Supper. We can take some passages and make some inferences from those, but we don't know. The Bible never gives us a direct command you're to do it this often. It gives us examples of, of churches observing the Lord's Supper, but it doesn't tell us to do it uh, every day or every week or once a month or, or whatever. Um, a couple of bad arguments for doing it less frequency. Some, frequently. Some people say that we shouldn't observe the Lord's Supper all that often, maybe once a quarter, because uh, there's a danger of eating and drinking it wrongly. And we just read that from 1 Corinthians 11, right? There's a danger of eating it wrongly if we don't uh, discern the body, if we don't examine ourselves. And so some people say, well, the Lord's Supper is dangerous. And if we take it wrongly, that can be really bad. So we shouldn't take it very often because we shouldn't give, our, we shouldn't give ourselves or other people opportunity to do it wrongly very often. That, that's a bad argument. Just because you can do something wrongly doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it often, right? You should do it often and you should do it rightly often, right? It would be kind of a counter to that argument. And then a second bad argument about taking the Lord's Supper less frequently is um, the more often you observe the Lord's Supper, it becomes... Um, it becomes more common or less meaningful or less significant. People say, if you observe the Lord's Supper every week, then it loses its significance, loses its meaning. And that's, that's a bad argument, right? No one says that if you preach a sermon every week, the sermon loses its, maybe y'all feel like that sometimes, uh, but nobody makes that argument, right? Nobody says we shouldn't sing songs every week because if, the, because if we sing every week, it becomes too common and, and loses its significance, right? No, that, that's a bad argument. Um, so when I first joined the church here, we were observing the Lord's Supper quarterly. And it seems to me like I might be misremembering stuff, or maybe I was traveling a lot back then when I was a student going back home or whatever. But it seems to me like there were several quarters where we missed it. And it seems like I went six months or nine months, maybe even a year, without observing the Lord's Supper at all here. And maybe I was out of town when we, when we observed it or, or, or whatever. I don't know. But, um, but we've gone from, doing, from observing it quarterly to now we have the Lord's Supper every month the first Sunday of every month, either on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, and we kind of go back and forth, rotate those. And, and that's good. I, I like the trend of, of doing it more often. I would, uh, I would be okay with, with having the Lord's Supper weekly as well. I, I was at a, a Baptist church in Tennessee before I moved here that, that observed the Lord's Supper weekly, um, and it did not at all lose its significance, did not at all become meaningless, um, and, and, I, and I liked that. Um, 
okay? And so then the, the last question, question number four is, um, who are the proper administrators of the Lord's Supper? Who is it that should officiate? Who is it that should pass the, the, the elements out, pass the plates out? Who is it that should hold the, 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 the things when we were doing the, uh, during COVID, when we were walking up and, and getting it? Should it be pastors only? Should it be deacons? Should it be ushers? Who is it that should, uh, that should administer the Lord's Supper? And, and the answer is really simple. Uh, there are no restrictions given in the Bible. It doesn't say it has to be deacons. It doesn't say it has to be men. It doesn't say it has to be the pastor. It doesn't say anything like that at all, okay? But two, two kind of caveats with that. Um, I think it needs to be someone. We talked, la- uh, we talked last week or two weeks ago about how the, how the Lord's Supper is a visual demonstration of the gospel and how when we observe the Lord's Supper, there's, there's a sense where we're preaching the gospel to each other in pictures. And so whoever is going to be the one that stands up in front and, and officiates it, right? I think the people, I think whoever passes the plates out can, I don't think there are any restrictions at all, can be, can be anybody, um, as, long as, they're, uh, as long as they're fit to, to participate in the Lord's Supper. I think they should be able to distribute the elements. The person that's like kind of leading the Lord's Supper, though, I, think it, I don't think it has to be the pastor. I don't think it has to be a deacon. Uh, but I think it needs to be someone who... Uh, who has the ability to explain and communicate what the Lord's Supper is and has the ability to explain and communicate the importance of it, why we observe it, what it means, what it symbolizes, um, and, and kind of has the, the gravitas or the, um, the authority or the respect to be able to lay out those requirements that we say, you know, if you're not a believer, we'd ask you not to take the Lord's Supper. It, I think it should be someone who's able to explain those things and be taken seriously, Right. Um, and, and so then another caveat to that is, um, I don't think this is a hard and fast rule. I'm, I'm not saying this is, this is, uh, is, is what we should kind of hang, hang to and, and accuse others of sin if they're not doing this. But if that's the case, if it needs to be someone who is able to explain what it is and, and, and those kind of things, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a pastor. All right, so that's four big questions. Uh, real fast, who is it that should observe the Lord's Supper? Uh, a believer in the Lord who's been baptized and is in, uh, in a member in good standing of a local church. Uh, in, in repentance and in faith. Uh, n- not in an unworthy manner in, in examining ourselves, discerning ourselves. Um, how often? Doesn't say. Um, I think more often is better than less often, but, but the Bible doesn't give us a hard and fast rule on that. And then who can administer the Lord's Supper? I, I just said that. All right. Um, any, any final questions? We're over time, but I do want to take just a few minutes if you have any questions. Next week is all questions, so if you don't want to see them tonight, bring them next week. Any thoughts, any questions? All right, thank you all so much. We're dismissed. Come back next week with your questions.